You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you will, uh, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. If you can't find it, Genesis, Exodus. You found it. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 45 in your pew Bible, and you will need your Bible this morning. So we have a lot of ground to cover, and you'll want to follow along as we cover it. So church, we all know this, but we're living in a we-want-it-and-we-want-it-now world, right? I mean, think about it. When a web page doesn't load as quickly as expected, what do we do? We yell at our computers. We get frustrated. When the fast food line is slower than it should be, we get frustrated. Or when you pull up to the window and they say, we're just going to need you to pull ahead into this spot over here. Isn't that the worst? When the person in the car in front of us is driving like a sloth, slowing us down from getting where we want to go, we get frustrated. When Amazon subtly got rid of their free two-day shipping, we got frustrated. You see, somewhere along the line, we lost the virtue of patience, and waiting became a bad thing. But you know what? God actually designed waiting for our good. In fact, there's blessings that come in the waiting. Dominoes learned that the hard way. As many of you might remember, Domino's used to have a policy that guaranteed delivery in 30 minutes or less or your order was free. None of the college kids or teens remember that because that was before your time. However, their popular policy came at a tremendous cost. You see, their rushed delivery policy conjured up a lot of business but it also caused many accidents. Dozens of people were injured and some were even killed by reckless drivers trying to get their deliveries on time. Domino's was eventually sued by a woman who was hit by one of their drivers, which 78 million dollars later effectually ended their 30 minutes or less guarantee. You know, church, oftentimes when we want some sort of deliverance from God, we want it rushed. Don't we? We want it now. However, it's during these times that we must remember that God's timing is always perfect. R.T. Kendall, he said, God is never too late, nor too early, but just on time. He knows that a rush delivery can have detrimental results. You see, what feels like a setback in God's service is actually for our good and the good of others. Let me give you an example from Scripture. When the early church was facing intense persecution, they longed for immediate deliverance, and rightfully so. They longed for Jesus to return and put an end to the injustice they were facing. Yet in the midst of their discouragement, the apostle Peter reminded them in 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. says this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Look at verse 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. You see, what we perceive as God's delay is actually part of God's delivery plan. Now, his timetable for delivery might look different than our timetable for delivery, but if we trust him, we're going to quickly learn that good things truly do come to those who wait on 
the Lord. Psalm 27, verses 13 through 14 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, wait for the Lord and be strong and let your heart take courage. And there it is again, wait for the Lord. As already mentioned this morning, we're beginning a new study on the life of Moses. Yet even more so, it's really a study on God's faithfulness to deliver. And it's through our opening study that we're going to be reminded of this important truth. And I think it's a good one, especially in the context of what's going on in our world today. It's this, God will always come through for his people. Always come through for his people. And so with that being said, I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to hop into our study. Lord Jesus, thank you again for the opportunity to, to open up your word, the privilege that it is. I pray, Lord, that I would get out of your way, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to our people, that you would speak to me as well. And God, that you would use this time to encourage our hearts, challenge us, Lord, and allow us to leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, since we're jumping into a whole new study, allow me to give you just some really quick historical background to better understand the setting and context of where we're at. You see, the book of Exodus opens up where the book of Genesis ends, with the death of Joseph in Egypt. You might remember like three or four years ago, we did a whole series on the life of Joseph. So if you want to catch up on Joseph, I'm sure it's online somewhere. But anyway, as you might recall, Joseph was the son of Jacob, and through a series of unfortunate events, he eventually became ruler of Egypt. Well, a severe famine hit the entire land, yet because Joseph planned ahead, there were provisions for the people in Egypt. And so eventually, Joseph's entire family, they moved to Egypt, and they were taken care of during the famine. And so then over the course of the next 300 years, as generations came and went, the Israelites grew. They multiplied, and they were strong. In fact, the land of Egypt was so full of Israelites that we're told later in the book of Exodus that they grew to be approximately 600,000 able-bodied men plus their wives and children. So you're talking more than a million people, more than a million Israelites, easy. However, their rapid growth didn't come without growing pains. So in today's opening passage, we're going to find the Israelites in desperate need of deliverance. They need God to come through. Yet we're also going to find three ways that God shows his faithfulness to his people. So let's begin by looking at the first way. Here it is, God's faithfulness in the problem. That's what we're going to look at first, his faithfulness in the problem. So I want you to follow along with me. We're going to be reading through uh, a, lot of, a lot of verses today, and, and so just follow along. So we're going to begin with verses 8 through 10. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. You know, church, there's no shortage of American idioms for being in a predicament. Some call it being in a fine kettle of fish. I don't know who calls it that, but some people do apparently. Uh, being in a pinch, being in a jam, in a pickle, stuck between a rock and a hard place, up a tree, up a wall, up a creek without a paddle, in a corner, or hard-pressed. Whatever you call it, the Israelites were about to face it and then some. You see, God's people, they were so great in number that Pharaoh feared they might align with Egypt's enemies if they ever went to war. So therefore, in an attempt to kind of break their spirits and stop their growth, he was about to put them under brutal affliction, beginning with forced labor. 
Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. You know, similar to what we see happening in China today, in an attempt to exploit them for economic potential, Pharaoh essentially forced the Israelites into labor camps with miserable working conditions. The taskmasters who were set over them did everything in their power to debilitate God's people. Yet despite Pharaoh's ill treatment, we see that the Israelites continued to multiply. And the Egyptians continued to be alarmed. And so church, right out of the gate, we learn an important truth about God. Don't miss this. Namely, that even through suffering and persecution, God will bless his people. This was true with the Israelites then, and it's true with the church today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, read this with me, you will be blessed. Have no fear in them, nor be troubled. John Fox, author of Fox's Book of Martyrs, once observed, he said, Princes and kings and other rulers of the world have all used their strength and cunning against the church, yet it continues to endure and hold its own. Friends, we should be encouraged to know that, as the old hymn says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, God will continue to bless his people, build his people, and bring his people home. Amen? Now, not having gotten the results he hoped for, Pharaoh turned the heat up by moving on to slave labor, which was really just a more intense version of the forced labor he already implemented. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You see, that word ruthlessly uh, was emphasized. It's one thing to, to, to have work that's physically and mentally taxing, but it's a whole other thing to have work that is physically and mentally unbearable. The Hebrew word for ruthless means to break apart or fracture. And so the Israelites, they were worked so hard and so harshly that it was only going to be a matter of time before their bodies and their spirits would break. But it gets worse. To make matters worse, as a final devastating blow, Pharaoh went on from slave labor, or continued in slave labor, but he moved on to population control. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. And if it's a daughter, she shall live. Church, as we're all painfully aware, Nazi leader Adolf Hitler believed that Jews were an inferior race and they were a threat to German purity and community. And his solution was to create these massive killing centers constructed in concentration camps during World War II. And as a result, approximately 6 million Jews were targeted and killed for racial, political, ideological, or behavioral reasons. And among those killed were 1 million children. 
I can't help but see some similarities because even though the, the reasons may differ, Pharaoh's plan was very much the same. You see, he wanted to kill the children to prevent the multiplication of a people group that he felt threatened by. He began by telling the Hebrew midwives. Can you imagine? The Hebrew midwives, they're in charge to kind of help the Hebrew women uh, give birth. Said, you're going to kill every son that's born of a Hebrew woman. Basically, it was government-sanctioned infanticide. And it's not too dissimilar to abortion today. Now, thankfully, this extreme measure was met by an extreme act of bravery. Look at verses 17 through 20. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. I love it. We're just going to let that little white lie slide for a second. Because church, we can learn a lot from the midwives. When the powers that be tried forcing them to do something that was against the Lord and his ways, they resisted. And even though Pharaoh had the power to execute them, they still purposed to disobey his orders because they feared God over man. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have good understanding. It's evident that the midwives had good understanding of the Lord and his ways because it resulted in their having a reverence for human life. And so, even if it meant their own death, they chose to obey God rather than men. You might remember a similar occurrence in the New Testament when the apostles were preaching and they were performing miraculous signs and wonders. They were eventually arrested and they were put into prison and they were told by the governing officials not to speak about Jesus again. However, after a miraculous escape from prison, they went right back into the streets and continued preaching Christ. And listen to what happened next in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. It says, And when they brought them, and they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, Wait, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, read this with me, we must obey God rather than men. Church, this is a good principle to remember as we navigate through these uncertain times. As the target on Christianity's back continues to grow, so will the opportunities for us to obey God rather than man. And just like the midwives, when those opportunities arise, we must have the courage to resist the opposition, fear the Lord, and trust him with the results. Just make sure the hill that you're dying on is a biblical hill and not a political one. That's important. Psalm 115.11 instructs us, All who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The midwives trusted the Lord and it resulted in both a personal blessing and a corporate blessing. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You see, all this to say God showed his faithfulness to the Israelites, not by taking away their problem, 
but by blessing them while they were in their problem. Church, you can't miss the importance of this reality. Because sometimes when we're in a problem, we feel as if God has abandoned us, right? We feel as if God has forgotten about us or no longer cares for us. This couldn't be further from the truth. You see, we may not always be able to explain why we're in a problem or why God won't take away the problem, but we can be sure that God will always be present with us and faithful to us within the problem, even if the problem we're facing brings us to the darkest of places. See, Pastor Mike, how do you know that? I know that because God tells us that. Psalm 23, verse 4, it says so. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's no darker place than the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, David said. Why? For you're with me. So we know God is with us, but also he provides for us. How? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need to remember that truth when we're in a problem of our own. Now, even though the midwives displayed a remarkable act of bravery in their reverence for human life, sadly, it didn't stop Pharaoh from carrying out his decree. He simply just called an audible and changed how it would be done. And so we're going to look at verse 22. It says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You see, Pharaoh commanded his own people, the Egyptians, to scour the land for Jewish babies and drown them in the Nile River. See how sick and twisted this guy was? Now, Pharaoh's police wouldn't have been able to keep up with every Hebrew birth. And so there was this expectation for the Egyptian people to report to the authorities when a boy was born. And undoubtedly, some did, and undoubtedly, some didn't. Nevertheless, the severity of the physical and mental oppression on the Israelites, combined with the fact that now the government was gunning for their children, was beginning to take its toll. The spirit of God's people was at a breaking point, and understandably so. Yet in their brokenness, God was beginning to set the stage for their deliverance. And this leads us to the second way God shows faithfulness to his people, and it's God's faithfulness in the provision. In the provision. So now we're into chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took, his wife, took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with vitamin and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. You know, the great missionary Elizabeth Elliot said, true faith goes into operation when there are no answers. In the case of the Israelites, there were no good answers for their predicament. However, it was the operating faith of a mother that changed everything. When she can no longer hide her Hebrew baby, she made the excruciating choice to place him in a basket and send him down the very same river where other babies had been drowned, trusting that God would deliver him. Can you imagine? And as we'll soon see, God intervened on behalf of his people in a way that only God can do. Let's finish reading uh, these verses, 
verses 5 through 10. So now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river, while, her, while the young woman walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, at that point, her job should have been what? Drown the baby. Huh. Verse 7, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. So you see what's happening here? Like, you see what's... So, so the, the ch- Moses' mama put Moses in the river. And then it all comes full circle to the point where Pharaoh's daughter calls on Moses' mama to be the one to nurse her own baby. God gave her baby right back. Isn't that crazy to think about? So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. She gets paid for the job too. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. How many of you guys seen the movie Cast Away? Okay, so there's, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Here it comes. Earmuffs. In the movie Cast Away, uh, FedEx executive Chuck Nolan's plane crashed during a storm and he washed ashore on a deserted island where he was alone for four years. So something happens after four years. I won't tell you what, but he survives. Anyway, my movie came out like 20 years ago. If you haven't seen it, you're lost. Anyway, so if you recall, several FedEx packages washed ashore as well when he was on that island. And he opened all but one of them. You see, the unopened and undelivered package was a symbolic reminder that he needed to survive because the delivery was still on the way. I always wondered what was in that package. And then like five or six years later, FedEx came out with a commercial. It was like a spoof, and it kind of showed what was in that package he never opened, and it was like a GPS and like a telephone and like, you know, <laughs> everything he needed, you know, to survive. But anyway, it's not the point of my illustration. So... <laughs> I digress, but so the unopened, undelivered package was a symbolic reminder he needed to survive because delivery was on the way. And church, even though the Israelites didn't realize it yet, their delivery was on the way. They just needed to hold on a little bit longer. And in nothing short of miraculous, again, God not only kept the baby boy safe in the Nile River, but he provided several women, including his own sister and mother, to care for him. And on top of this, God's future prophet, the man who would one day deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, would be raised by the daughter of the man who wanted to kill him. Does God work in some amazing ways or what? Now, even though their deliverance had not yet arrived, their deliverance was still on its way. And this brings to mind an important biblical truth about deliverance. Listen, Psalm 103.6 says the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You see, church, no matter what oppression you may be facing right now, no matter how hard or harsh or hopeless that it might seem, in his perfect timing, God is going to work it out. 
In fact, just like Moses floating down the river, deliverance in, for whatever situation you're facing may very well be on its way and you don't even realize it yet. So therefore, let me encourage you to wait patiently and expectantly for its arrival. Charles Spurgeon said, If the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith and exercises patience, trains submission, endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been, listen, awaiting people. Awaiting people. I love what Lamentations 3, I came across this verse as I was uh, doing my devotions a few days ago. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. It says, the Lord is good to those who what? Wait for him. To, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's a good thing. And so this leads us to the third way God shows faithfulness to his people. We see God's faithfulness in the promise. Like What promise? We talk about Pastor Mike. I don't see any promises in those verses. That's because we need to go back in time a little bit. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. You could turn there. The verses are on the screen, though. God, talking to Abraham, says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. You see, many years before their oppression, God told Abraham that one day his offspring is going to be afflicted by another nation for 400 years. He also told Abraham that he purposed to deliver them and bless them abundantly. Church, this should encourage our hearts in several different ways. First, we can be encouraged that nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. Whatever affliction or trial that we may be facing, God not only knows about it, he knew about it from eternity past. He's never caught off guard by our affliction. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He, he knows everything. Friends, there's absolutely nothing that can get past the sight of God. He's aware of all things. He's in control of all things. And secondly, we can be encouraged in knowing that God will always keep his promises. If God's word says it, we can believe it. It's a done deal. This is especially encouraging in light of today's study. Are you encouraged by this? Because I'm seeing blank stares. Are you guys encouraged by this? You should be. This is big deal for us as God's people. And this is especially encouraging in light of today's study because look at one of the great promises in Scripture concerning God's deliverance. It's found in Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. It says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He says many are the afflictions of the righteous. So it's established the righteous will go through afflictions, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now I want to be clear on this word deliver. The Hebrew word for deliver carries the idea of defending, preserving, or rescuing. This means just like the Israelites... If you are facing some sort of oppression today, 
you can cry out to the Lord for help. And you could rest assured that at a very minimum, he will be faithful to preserve and defend you in the oppression. However, there are also times, as in the case of the Israelites, where he will rescue you from the oppression. Either way, whatever the case may be, God will show his faithfulness to you. Amen? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. God will always come through for his people. Always. I like to say this often because it's a Billy Graham quote. Billy Graham said it best. He said, I read the end of the Bible and it all, it all works out in the end. Now as a closing word, that's kind of where we're going to leave things today. Leave you hanging on this deliverance thing. But as a closing word, I want to remind you of the greatest act of deliverance that God has ever provided for his people. If you're, if you're here this morning and maybe you're, you're in the thick of it, and it's hard to see clearly when you're in the thick of it. It's hard to, 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 to feel God's deliverance, if that makes sense. Sometimes you wonder if God's there, and, and I, I hope that you can see that he is, but I understand that when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see past the thickness. And if that's you, I just want to remind you If you're wrestling, well, God, is he really faithful? Will he really do his part to deliver me? I want to remind you to go back to the greatest act of deliverance that God has ever performed for his people. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 says, read this with me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, Jesus delivered his life to deliver our lives. We must never forget this. For those who believe we have been delivered from darkness to light, from death to life, from the path of hell to the promise of heaven. Our sins have been washed away and we have been given the free gift of eternal life. For those who believe, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we praise God for the deliverance we have in Christ this morning? I mean, praise him. Not just sit there. Like, let's praise him this morning. Church, church, we need this truth. Okay? Like, the problems that we're seeing in our world, even over the last couple of years, they're not going away. We need this truth. God's people got to stop playing games. We need his word, and we need this truth if we're to live lives that are honoring to him in these crazy times and to encourage our spirits. Now, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then as it currently stands, you're living in the domain of darkness, and you are in need of deliverance. The good news is you can receive deliverance right now. The Bible teaches that God made us to be with him, to have a relationship with him. But we cut ourselves off from him because of our sin. Yet God, in his great love for us, became a man in Jesus, and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and in doing so, he provided the way to receive forgiveness for our sins, be saved, and receive eternal life. Now, to receive eternal life, you must acknowledge that you're a sinner and repent of your sin, which means changing your mind or direction, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. 
John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You don't have to question it. You've got it. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So friend, if you are here this morning in need of eternal deliverance, you can receive it right now by praying something like this. Dear God, your word says you desire to have a relationship with me, and I believe it. Your word says that my sin has separated me from you, and I believe it. Your word teaches that apart from a Savior, I am destined to spend eternity in hell, and I believe it. However, your word also says that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for me on the cross, and that three days later, he rose again. And that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I believe that too. And say, Lord, beginning today, I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for eternal life. Thank you for delivering me from the domain of darkness and giving me eternal life. Help me from this day forward to follow you and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed to receive Christ, or you'd like to know more about what it means to be saved, you can come forward after the service and you can grab an information packet uh, right underneath the pulpit here. You can come talk to me directly. And likewise, if you need prayer for deliverance this morning, if you've got a specific situation in your life that you'd like someone else to pray with you on, which, by the way, I hope you didn't forget what we talked about last week, praying together is important. So if you need some prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward. I'm going to ask whatever elders and spouses are, are in the room, if you guys wouldn't mind coming forward, sitting up front here. If you guys want to come forward after the service and just have somebody to pray with, I know they would be happy to oblige. So at this time, I'm going to invite the praise team forward. Let me pray over you, and we'll close. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the salvation we have in Christ Thank you for delivering us from the domain of darkness. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what comes our way, Lord, you will be faithful to come through for us and that we could rest in the truth of your word. It's your word and the power of your word that will uphold us during these difficult times. God, I pray for our church body, if there's someone here just in need of deliverance from, a, from an affliction, God, that you would show yourself faithful to them. I pray if there's anyone here that needs to trust you as their Lord and Savior, and to leave here with the assurance of eternal life that they would make that decision before they leave. God, whatever work that you're doing in our hearts, God, I'm thankful for. We praise you and we love you. Thank you for being our great deliverer. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.